So exciting to have Jade today on our Humans at Work podcast. Huge welcome to you, Jade. Humans at Work is brought to you by the Being More Human team, and we specialize in individuals, teams, and organizations reaching their potential. So, Jade Green, can you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about the work you do and maybe the clients that you work with would be lovely too. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've loved jamming with you in the past on the different superhuman topics. Um, A little bit about me is probably I spent, before coming into full-time consulting and working with teams on how they can like put people before profit and how they can align people, purpose, and profit and build kick-ass teams, because I believe that happiness is the greatest hack to productivity and profitability, which is a win-win for everyone. So before doing all of that, I spent 13 years in headhunting and recruitment. So I had the displeasure of interviewing people all day, every day, and hearing their their woes and sorrows and, like, you know, just how horribly a lot of people were treated in work and how much the workplace caused stress, anxiety, and depression, and what that would do as a ripple effect, the amount of people that I interviewed that had said because of, like, the way they were at work or what had happened that had led to, like, they're, like, losing their family, like, getting divorced or not having enough time with their kids and, like, these um, sad stories of what they wish if they if they could have had better workplaces. So I was really motivated to want to work with Planet Plus and Humanity Plus, like business owners, to build teams of happier humans so that we can raise the vibration uh, of everyone in the community. But because really, like, I just hate the thought of people waking up on a Monday morning and dreading going to work. We spend so much time, like we spend more time with our work colleagues and in the workplace than we do doing anything else. So, I wanted to to see how I could utilize what I'd learned over the years of headhunting and recruitment and being in and out of all different industries and how I could then layer that with my training from becoming a Mind Valley certified trainer, becoming a performance and flow consultant in the talent dynamics and wealth dynamics system and all of my business skills to be able to come in and to help those people build those teams so that I can contribute back. So does that answer that question? Yeah, fantastic. That's that's a great answer. And I guess we'll start with the building teams part because that's what we want to focus on today is we want to pick your brain and get as much insight as we can on all the elements of teams. So we want to talk about teams that work really well, that are exceptional. We want to talk about teams that are dysfunctional, that are not working well and everything in between. Does that yeah. sound all right? Sounds great. Fantastic. So you mentioned before the idea of happiness being the biggest hack. How? What are some things that you can do to make sure that when you get out of bed every morning, you are going to work in the most amazing team? What can you do as an individual to help toward that? Beautiful. I use this saying that I heard from uh, Reverend Michael Beckwith, and he says that the biggest problem isn't actually attention deficit disorder. It's we have intention deficit disorder. And we jump out of bed and we grab our phone and it pings a million things and like all of the urgencies and we're current, then we're instantly thrown into a reactionary state and anxiety state about what we need to do and the to-do list. And we're at the whim of the world rather than being in control. So the thing that you can do to be a better team member and that I think if we can 
help educate teams and and give the business owners and the leaders the skills to work with their teams so that they can set themselves up for success, ready to roll into the day with their teams. So creating a morning routine that allows you to get yourself centered and come from a spot where you can respond rather than react and that you've cultivated your own state and energy so that you're doing your piece to not press everybody else's buttons when you walk in the door would be the number one thing. So thinking about what time you would wake up, what time you'd come, like I keep my phone in airplane mode. Like when would you come out of airplane mode and and allow yourself to start having to be in work mode? What do you need to do to set yourself up to get yourself your energy clear, those sorts of things, so that when you start interacting, you're coming from a vibration that is like calm or positive rather than that uh, negative vibration. Mm. And what you're talking about requires a really high level of personal responsibility as well. And I think that that's interesting because personal responsibility for some people is much more challenging than for others. 100%. Some people will be listening to us right now and they'll go, yep, my morning routine, yep, I do that, no problem, no worries. And other people will be listening and they'll be going, what? All I do is roll out of bed and press the alarm and then get dressed. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and I think that's the interesting thing about teams. There is such a wide variety of humans that you find in Mm. a team that it's not kind of a one-size-fits-all approach, is it? No, not at all. And what I hear, like you hear a lot, like especially people that have kids and things like that, they're like, yeah, well, i got to get up. I've got to handle the kids and everything. And I totally get that. But what what you can do is you can make the choice of when you get up. And I make sure that I I am up an hour at least before we wake the children up (laughs) so that I've got that time. So usually it's it's an hour and a half for me um, before I've got to like wake them up and get them ready for school so that I can watch sunrise, get myself centered, drink my coffee. I set up the uh, oil diffuser. I get the the music that's going to fill the void and set the right vibration before I wake them up so that I'm kind of curating the environment before the shit song starts. (laughs) So I do get like everyone's got a whole bunch of other stuff, but this was something that I put into practice when I had um, my recruitment firm like everyone wanted a piece of me. Like I needed to be on from seven o'clock in the morning because staff would be like, can't come to work. You've got interviews not happening, things, people you're coordinating. And I just went, well, 5 a.m. club. If I get up at 5 a.m., that gives me an hour that nobody owns me. That's my hour. And I just made that commitment that that's what I was going to do. And like you said, personal responsibility, that's sometimes hard. But it is within your control. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's totally within your control. Yeah. And I think um, understanding what's totally within your control is a really great step forward to being a great team member because then you can focus on those things. Because one of the things that I see in dysfunctional teams is a lot of the blame game. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, blaming the other person for not doing something or for doing something or whatever it is. Tell us about a dysfunctional team that you might have seen or been part of or worked with and what you might have done to try to shift them out of that dysfunction. Yeah. So uh, a team that you probably know as well, we just had lots of different personality types. So different um, profiles communicate in different ways and they need different um, they need to hear different things to be able to process stuff. So to give you an example, we had 
one team member who is seen as that, if you know the wealth dynamics and talent dynamics system, is a complete lord. So steel-based energy, which means they're more introverted. They need, they take time to process things. They're, um, they're slow to process. They want the data before they communicate, but also they they sit more on a task-orientated um, system rather than a people-based um, system. So often, if especially if they're under pressure or they're thinking fast, they don't necessarily put the niceties on a communication. They're just really direct with how they say things and they can be seen as cold, harsh or rude, especially by someone who's on the opposite side that's quite people person, they're quite empathetic, they want to make sure that you've, you know, how are you, they've done the pleasantries before they communicate something and they're they're a little bit more diplomatic in the way that they would ask something. And so we had a rub because we had these big people person profiles that is asking the question of who first versus this other profile which asks what first and so different that they this one thought this that uh the other person was just fluffy and they just talk shit and they don't like they don't get to the point and they're frustrated which makes them more direct and yeah. the, the people person is like this guy is just so bloody rude doesn't care about anything and it really was just that they didn't understand how they needed to hear each other and so then there was that story, and we went back to Brene Brown, the story that they're telling themselves about this guy, he's just rude because he communicates like this. And this guy, he's just an airhead because he doesn't give me any facts or details and waffles too much and then, I, like, is asking me about my day and my weekend. Like, just doesn't he know we've got a time frame? And so they're running a story. So how we fixed that was doing a session where we went through everybody's personality profiles, so uh, on a couple of different levels. So not just their behavior type being talent. We used the talent dynamic system for that, but we also used love languages, which was hugely eye-opening because of how people recognized, like felt appreciated or needed to see, know that they were seen and heard. So when we found out that the, um, the person who was actually really direct, their primary love language was words of affirmation. So if you didn't actually acknowledge the work that he'd done, he just he, it just didn't land for him. And somebody else's was um, physical touch and just walking past and giving him an actual pat on the back was everything he needed to be able to feel like you've seen and heard what the effort that he's done. So mm-hmm. being able to explain to them and, and explain the differences and showing them how to communicate so they could hear and putting... Yeah letting them know that the emphasis was actually on the communicator for the listener to be able to hear, not on the listener to understand and go, okay, well, if you want to get the Lord on side, don't come in with your super high personality, bubbly, how are you going? Come in with your facts and figures because that's the stuff that he's going to need to feel safe and secure to be able to be in a position to process Mm. and vice versa being able to ask how your day was before firing questions about data at the other person. So just that conversation about understanding the different styles and and it came down to learning styles, the the appreciation styles and the communication styles made such a big difference in the way the team gelled and, and dissipated the tension. 
Yeah, and I think, um, you know, that's such a great example because the uniqueness of humans can either be seen as a benefit and people can really look at people doing things in different ways and see how the team is better because of it or that can be seen as the problem. The uniqueness of people can be seen as the problem in the first place. And I think that's a great story about being able to get to the bottom of the uniqueness of humans and how that uniqueness is beneficial in a team setting. Well, if you think great, about this. Great results after that. Did you see some good results in the team? Oh, following it's that? a massive, massive improvement. And the way that they're working together and, and also understanding who to lean on for certain tasks. So when they got stuck with a detail, like if it was a people person, a person that usually asks the question, who can help me? They knew who to go and ask for help when it came to a technical problem and knew that that person would feel great about helping about that. So understanding like, okay, we've got uh, actually a new team that I just started working with on Monday that hadn't really, didn't know each other's skills and that we're like, okay, we've got these things that need to be done. Who's going to be best on the team to do it? And everyone's like, oh, I don't know. And then we were like, oh, okay, what's your strengths and weaknesses? What do you love doing? And it was like, actually, I'm great at research and analytics and data capture. And we're like, excellent, you're the man. And so understanding who to turn to based on the skill set makes a really big difference and, yeah. and the recognition of it. But the, the story I was telling the team the other day, like, it's like if you were looking at a pro soccer team, you don't want a whole team of strikers because if the, if the other team is constantly scoring because you've got no goalie, you're still going to lose. And if there's no one there to give an assist to the striker to kick the goal, no good, right? So understanding that each team needs a different, unique genius and not one genius is more important than the other. And I know with football teams, we can sometimes put the, the striker or a quarterback up on a pedestal. But even with the quarterback, if the if the line's not snapping the ball the right way, the quarterback doesn't get the chance to throw it. So understanding like each unique genius and how and explaining how they fit together, that's been a really big part for me working with teams is helping the team members understand how other roles and other geniuses make make the cogs turn and what can happen if you pull one out <laughs> so what i want you to do now is try and think of the most exceptional team that you've ever worked with or for or you know what in whatever capacity and i'm interested in what you noticed about that team what can you see when a team's exceptional yeah okay beautiful so i would say that's the team that i built in melbourne when i was running a recruitment firm down there and the thing that I think was the, the biggest difference was we were it, we were friends. Like nearly every single one of those team came to my wedding after I'd already moved away. Um, everyone was a tight-knit team. Um, they were tight-knit friends when, when it came to Friday afternoons and we had the opportunity to go to the pub. Instead of going to the pub, all of the partners would come into the office and we'd like play ping pong in the office and do things together. But the reason why we were such good friends was it was built on a, um, it was when we interviewed, it was around values. So we understood what the the core values were that were my values and what the type of team I wanted to build and the type of uh, individuals we need and understanding where the gaps were going to be so that we could recruit in. But the underlying um, essence was we had a foundation of 
the same sort of beliefs and values of of how we wanted to operate and the standards that we played at. Mm. And obviously being a recruitment firm, we did have a few uh, advantages in terms of knowing how to interview and and knowing how to profile and, and look at those those gaps and and write the right job descriptions to get the right people in the right seats. But it was that real mutual um, respect for where where people fit within the team to to help each other. Um, and we did like we made sure it was fun. Like we lived the values, but we made sure that we had things in there that were fun. So going to work was fun. One of the core values was being transparent with each other. So being able to be open, like even if, you know, it was a young team, even if someone went out on the lash on the Sunday night, rather than just chucking a sickie, they'd send me a message on the Sunday afternoon going, just so you know, I'm either going to be shady or man down in the morning. So it didn't get to 8 o'clock in the morning. We've got some a client meeting coming in and we're missing somebody like it was communicated up front now obviously we didn't condone that behavior all the time but it was that level of trust that you could say those things um and I think that that's really what it came from you you there was no judgment within the team you were accepted for who you were and it was based on it was based on the trust and it was because we knew each other at a human level so I did a lot of stuff about how we can know each other outside of our job descriptions yeah yeah and that I think that's so powerful uh I look the last question I want to ask you and we're coming up to our time which has gone very quickly (laughs) but the last question I want to ask you is if you could give a tip to everyone who works in teams to make their lives better their lives better and other people's lives around them what would the one tip be that you could pass on the one tip the thing that flared to mind then was uh, extreme ownership and understanding where you're at cause. And so what that means is being able to take stock of a situation, reflect back and and go, what, what did I do to be at cause to get that result, positive or negative? So was it that I stayed calm and I didn't, I didn't like react, I actually responded or I allowed them to talk or I, I took the time to understand that person or going, okay, that just went tits up. And it was because I got up or I let my ego, like I wanted to win for the sake of winning. What is it? And then going, what can I do to either like turn up the dial and and replicate the good behavior? Or what do I need to do to mitigate that risk of that happening again in the future? So it would be about understanding you you are at cause in some way in all cases and what you would do to either repeat that behavior if it was good or to not repeat the behavior if it wasn't good. Awesome. I love that we've basically looped around from talking about personal responsibility at the start <laughs> and, and at the end because I think that that's so so incredibly powerful. And, if I look, I honestly think if there was one thing I could say to everybody in the world, it would be about taking personal responsibility because that mm. – that itself would seriously change the world overnight if if everyone decided to do that. So oh. such great advice and great insight and wisdom. And thank you so much, Jade, for being on our Humans at Work podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast as usual. Okay. And for anyone listening, Humans at Work is brought to you by the Being More Human team and we work with individuals, teams and organisations to help them reach their potential. We'd love to hear from you so you can reach out through any of our socials.